Let's talk about talk, it. Talk, talk, talk. Let's go deep. We all have something to share. No share with Dr. Dave. Tracy Trace and her daughter Sabrina. Welcome to the Knowledge Share with Dr. Dave podcast. Um, how are you guys doing today? You go first, Bree. She's like, can can you talk? Okay, she's not talking. I'm well, good. You can tell. How are you You're all? Good? <laughs> We're amazing. We're amazing. How about I'm, you, Trey? What, what's going on with you? I'm doing. I'm doing all right. All right. I'm happy to hear that. Um, how is uh, how's my friend Steve, my brother? Oh, he's fine. <laughs> You know, I, I, I just want to let you know that, you know, I have a bromance with your dad. So you know, <laughs> it's just a thing. So let's just start. And um, perhaps you guys could do an elevator pitch to introduce yourselves. You know, I know lots about you, but I would rather you just let the audience hear it in your own voice. So I am Tracy Tracy. And I have known Dr. Dave for a long time. Good. <laughs> Good. Because <laughs> I have no idea how long. It's a long, all of my adulthood, I have known Dr. Dave. How's that? That's true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All of my adulthood. And uh, I, for profession, I am a psychotherapist. Okay. And... For my identity, I am a mom, and I enjoy being a mom, and I, I call myself a, I don't know, self-care guru, right. so, you know, holistic healer, um, been doing it for about 20-some years, Yeah, and I enjoy what I do. Work does not feel like work. So I'm never dreading doing what I'm doing. It always feels like I'm walking in my light and in my, the way where I'm supposed to be. And it just, life is good. Good. So Sabrina, can I get an elevator pitch from you? So I'm Sabrina. I guess if my mom introduces herself as a mother, I'm a daughter. <laughs> Um, I, um, live in Brooklyn, um, and I first and foremost am a, am a nerd. Um, it kind of dictates the way that I approach, um, my work and my personal life. Um, I just want to get to know everything about everything all the time. Um, but specifically as it relates to slavery and race, um, and so right now I work for um, a digital media lab called Accelerate Change. And we support um, digital organizers across the country in a new organizing fashion called blended organizing, which we will start building um, January 1st. Um, and our support for organizers basically turned out marginal votes for the November 3rd general election. Um, and so now we're working really hard to get it together for the Georgia runoff. Um, so that's what I do in my day job. Without the day job, I would just be reading 
and, and writing about slavery. Man, I am so glad I'm, I'm getting to know you. Yeah, <laughs> I really am. So, hey, so it's really awesome that mom and daughter living in a mixed family. Um, so how has that shaped your thinking and experiences with social justice? Hmm. Why don't you take that one, Sabrina? <laughs> well, we, I mean, we were just talking about this. We were. What was that, two hours ago? Right. Um, literally, it was uh, kind of a mistake, um, but serendipitous, I guess, at this point. Um, I woke up this morning thinking about how oftentimes growing up, I would see my mom's race um, getting called into question. And it was really strange for me because I always thought that she kind of like was excited about it. Um, that's the way I perceived it as a, as a young individual. Um, and then on top of the constant questioning that I was going through, um, so people would, would be like, what are you? Every day of my life since, since like K-5. Um, and no one can make sense of my race, but I knew that I was black. Like I knew I was a, that I was a black girl, but I didn't, I didn't know that these questions were or traumatizing, over-interrogative, all, you know, violent, like it's, it's not fun to have your race be called into question every day. And I saw my mom actually enjoy it um, or what I perceived was her enjoying it. Um, and so that kind of dictated the way that I walked through the world, um, especially going to a predominantly white grade school, predominantly white high school, and then a predominantly white college and just like gross politics over the fetishization over the racially ambiguous um, and navigating being percent, I'm black, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know how that's, it's sh it shaped the way that I've walked through the world. And if that's relative to social justice, um, I think that would be a, a valid conclusion only because like, if we think about the personal being the political and, and the work that I do, it, it's everything, right? So. Okay, thank you, Sabrina. <laughs> uh, you have anything to add, mom? I, I don't know, my goodness. <laughs> um, well, when I was questioned, Sabrina mentioned I was questioned about what race I am. My mother was always questioned about what race she was. Yeah. So when I was questioned, what Sabrina perceived as excitement for me was identifying with my mother. So it made me feel like, oh, I'm just like my mother. People are questioning her race and they question mine. And now they're questioning Sabrina. So it's just a thing that we go through as the women in my family. So it wasn't perceived as, or, or it wasn't received as excitement to me. It was just expected and I would, it was kind of like a, huh, here we go again, but mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of thing. And I remember my mother never questioning her race. I never questioned my race. And when I looked at Sabrina, I never questioned whether she was a black girl or not. So I wasn't walking 
or witnessing her as a biracial woman. I was witnessing her as a black woman and not ambiguous at all. So for me, it was just really interesting watching or hearing her even say this and then watching yeah. her grow up and my own experience. And the social justice part of it, I, it and this is me um, maybe saying some things, Sabrina, that might not be accurate, but, but this is my take. Um, that I think how it has shaped Sabrina is that she's much, you're much more, and I'm gonna to speak to you, you're much more attuned to it because of your, um, how you're questioned about your race and how you show up in the world based on your physical, right? And I think it has definitely led you to a place where it's going to be part of the world and the work that you do as you move through the world as an adult. Fabuloso. That's I mean, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I'm just trying to like, think of the type of conversations that you guys have about empathy about black indigenous and people of color lives uh, when you guys get together, you know, whether either it's through the digital realm or or when you're back at home in Wisconsin, you know, I would like to hear, well, what are some of those conversations that's taken place? You know, about how do you have empathy for BIPOC lives? I think they're the focus of many of our conversations. Wouldn't you say, Sabrina? I would say that, I mean, 75% of the things we talk about are <laughs> within the realm. Right, right. Not baking cookies. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, Sabrina is the cookie baker, so right. there is no discussion there. She's got that hand down. There you go. Now, if we're talking about cooking, then there might be a little bit of a discussion, but she's definitely the cookie <laughs> baker. The um, empathy is a thing that I, I, I think wove itself through my parenting and who I am as a person was to be, I'm an empath. By nature, so I feel things from that other people feel, and mm. I would um, branch out and say that Sabrina is an empath herself, and feels very deeply how people feel. And when you feel deeply how people feel, you can't help but to look at the world from a space of feelings and. Think about how a person may feel or what place or space they're in when they move through the world. And, and, and I think it was just inferred and it was led by example. And it, it, it is just in how I do what I do. And most of the, in the, historically, most of the people that I've worked with in my private practice have been at least 50% people of color. And um, that has definitely led to understanding more deeply my place in the world and how to help them navigate in the world. And I'm gonna stop because I can keep going on that and I'll let you take that, Sabrina. <laughs> um, I like it. So I think empathy was I'm currently a little jaded about it right now, um, but that's because four years ago, I 
I tried really hard there. I mean, there's some family members on, you know, on the white side that aren't in line with the views that I have. And I was trying to come at it from an empathetic place and it didn't work. It failed miserably. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to experience that at, I was 20, right? So I was a sophomore in college, Donald Trump had just gotten elected and I was like, okay, like they're totally gonna get me. We're family, we're blood, la da 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 da. And empathy didn't work. So I think in terms of the conversations that we now have within the immediate family, the empathy is there. Like we, I don't have to encourage um, my brother to try and walk in a woman's shoes or my dad to try and walk in a woman's shoes or my dad to try and walk in a black person's shoes. Like it's there. Um, and so it's made the energy that I put into this work a lot easier because I'm able to sort of pace out the amount of empathy that I expect from people, um, just by the nature of, of our family system, um, which has been a great lesson. Um, and I'm happy to have learned that by my mid twenties, like what cool, um, it's going to make my life a lot easier, hopefully. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm an empath by nature and that's why I do the work I do. Well, Sabrina, I'm, I'm going to stay with you and I wanted to describe what it was like growing up in, I would call it upper middle class Wisconsin suburb and then going to school there and then living in New York. Um, how would you contrast the experiences? <laughs> I <laughs> You're Brooklyn, How do man. I be brief? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes, be brief. <laughs> Five sentences. <laughs> Growing up upper middle class in Wisconsin in a suburb, um, black with a, a white parent was ridiculous. Um, especially in Milwaukee, which is one of the worst places to be black. Um, one of the most segregated cities in the U S. Um, I had a, I was, I was bullied a little bit in grade school too, for being weird. Um, and now coming out of it, I'm realizing that that was probably racially motivated because I like to wear my hair like a, uh, mid aughts video girl. And I liked wearing baby fat, like sweatsuits. And I wanted hoop earrings and like I was doing all these like crazy fun dances. So like people at grade school were like, who is this human being? And then also I do talking white, right? Like we don't talk, we don't say that anymore. What's the, what is the politically correct term for saying talking I have white? no idea <laughs> what the political word, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll leave that to you. <laughs> okay. So like. So my mom also like wanted her kids to, you know, be raised around black kids. So she, we went to black churches. I danced at a black dance school. Um, And people always like chastised me for the way that I talked, which was proper or white or whatever, which it didn't, I mean, I guess it hurt in the moment because I was like, oh, I'm like also like being made fun of, but also I don't want to have like that tragic mulatto narrative because it wasn't painful. I felt much more comfortable with the people at church and the people at dance. The only thing that separated me from them was the way that I speak. And like, I wasn't always hit to 
the jokes that they experienced in their schools because I was at a white school. Um, so that was, that was kind of like the general upbringing of things. And then in high school, um, I kept to myself pretty much freshman and sophomore year, junior and senior year, I was elected the, the school mascot. And I say I was elected because it's not as if I didn't make the basketball team, right? They uh, wanted me to be the mascot. They're like, yeah, we like this person. Um, <laughs> so I was, I was the mascot. <laughs> um, and I had a blast as an upperclassman. Um, I was in theater. I was a super theater nerd. And I was also like popular. So I got invited to all the cool people parties. And so, I don't know, it, like race didn't really um, rear its ugly head in high school, also because social media wasn't the interface that it is right now. Um, so we had like a super beta Snapchat. Instagram, you were lucky if you got 20 likes on a photo. Um, Twitter was me just being dumb like I am right now. Twitter hasn't changed much and my relationship with Twitter hasn't changed much. Um, but there wasn't this like sort of thing where you could find a community of, of human beings that look like you, that were raised like you. Um, so I just kind of, I was like the weird buffoon in high school in the penguin costume that also read a lot about race and loved Toni Morrison and was welcomed by both the black and the white students. Um, so I mean, like my high school institutionally was trash and I would love if I had gone to a different high school, but like as a black kid, it wasn't a horrendous experience. It wasn't like it was in grade school. Um, it was just that when I got to college, I was like, oh, this is who I am. This is how people see me. This is how I'm perceived. This is how I want to be. I can be friends with a bunch of black people all the time and like surround myself with them all the time and like not be like 18% of my class. Um, well, NYU has, um, I think 4% black population, which is horribly low. Like that is for it to be like touted as like this progressive institution is some bullshit. Um, yeah. but I still like, I still, um, had a, I had a blast in college because um, well, my first black professor was uh, Tony and I was a junior in college. Um, so I had a really difficult time navigating what I wanted and how I could get it because I had a white advisor. She wasn't hearing me um, and hearing what I needed. She wasn't delivering. And so I would, I was just like, taking in texts outside of class. I was like discovering slavery and discovering law and discovering culture and whatnot in, in, a, in an academic sense, which is valuable to me. It doesn't necessarily need to be valuable to the masses, but it's valuable to me. Um, so then by the time I was a junior, I got my footing. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do black studies. Um, and I basically um, had a phenomenal time academically in school because of that. Um, freshman and sophomore year was, was hairy and gross um, because I didn't have the support that I needed. And in terms of like my, my community, it is so much fun. I live in a Caribbean neighborhood. Um, so there's like 
nan white folk around <laughs> um <Yay>. and <laughs> um so like race doesn't necessarily feel like up it's not i mean it's a problem everywhere but i'm not constantly hit with your other right yeah um i'm in a place where i'm welcomed and celebrated and furthermore, I feel like I'm stepping on everybody's toes as like a black gentrifier um, and not having a, a super long relationship with the community. I've been here for five years rather than decades. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, navigating that is like this other thing of like, um, am I doing right for my community? Like, especially as a black person, um, am I increasing rent? I don't know. Like it. So it's been. I would say that it's much easier to live here and I, I don't want to leave here because of that. Um, and I hate going back to Wisconsin because of that. Understood. You know, your grandpa, Peter, you know, he, um, super loved the Caribbean. He always says that we're related and we are related. So that's it. Done. Here you go. Day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, we know. Oh, we you know. know there's you know. there's a you know. lot in that lineage. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about women of color. Um, who gives you inspiration? Who? Yeah, I I'm I'm gonna pass that one on to Sabrina because oh, I thought you would say tag. You know, well, definitely my mom. Definitely my mom. <laughs> I didn't want to start with that because. All right. I didn't want Sabrina to feel obligated to say me. So I wanted. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> She's going to start with Toni Morrison. <laughs> I know, exactly. I just want to know who she was going to start with. <laughs> okay, so yeah, my mother. My mother is. She, she was a hell of a woman. She was not the most um, gentle mother when I was a child. She was very firm, very, um, she didn't take no shit. And yeah, no joke. She <laughs> was no joke. And it, it was nothing but respect for her. Um, mm -hmm. Sabrina said bullshit a couple sentences ago, and that would have never come out of my mouth in front of my mother. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, and my, my big mama was inspiration for me, my mother's mom. Mm. She was a very strong, independent woman who had eight children and was not the most hands-on mother, but she was a very hands-on grandmother. And yeah. I remember looking at her when I was a kid and wanting to be like strong like big mama when I grew up and very independent. And I, I think I got the strong part, still working on the independence. Uh, and my mother was a very independent woman. And she was a, she was a fixer upper. She, she could, I don't know, she could strip woodwork and she could install a light. She could do all of those things that every woman should know how to do, but we always don't know how to do. So when things come up broken in our house, I can fix it or Stephen can fix it. 
some things, not everything. But, you know, if, an, if a light needs to be installed, that can happen. There's a lot of equity in my household. And I learned that equity from my mother, even though I, did, I wasn't raised in an equitable household. Right. Right. It was very traditional. But I learned from her that I could do anything which translated into my relationship, which was, which is kind of cool. So my inspiration isn't from a book. It is from real life folk. And, and I had a, a grandmother, um, my father's mother, Miss Ollie is what we called her. And she, my father told a story when he was a little, <laughs> when he was a little kid that a bull was chasing him. And my grandmother grabbed the bull by the horn and stopped the bull from, yeah, from ripping his britches. <laughs> and she had a shotgun with her. So, oh, yeah. right, right. And she was all of 4'11", maybe 110 pounds soaking wet and had 20 pregnancies. Wow. Right. Um, and well, that's folklore, but I know I yeah. had 14 aunts and uncles, right? So my father was from a really big family and she, it, it, the women in my life have just been very strong and I know I can do anything as a woman. I don't doubt my capabilities as a woman because of them. So there you go. Even though they weren't feminist, but they were they did, they, they did their own shit. They, you know. <laughs> you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Okay, Sabrina. Well, I'll first start off, start off with my mom. Yes. Love it. Yeah. Um, because I would be a poopy child if I didn't. Um, no, and because there's there's genuine validity to it. Um, I, I mean, like, it's, I'm called Little Tracy mm. off, often because I am Little Tracy. So it's like, if, if she didn't inspire me, then I, I wouldn't exist. If I like, if I am her duplicate, right? If I'm, if I'm her mini me, then like, well, then she just like carbon copied me. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, I'm excited to continuously become her more and more because that's exciting and she rocks. So yeah. I'm just like excited for the future in that aspect. Um, and then like, yeah, there is this incredible lineage of black women in our family that I mean I I only knew big mama my big mama out of all of that and she she was like like I I want I wanted to be her best friend but she couldn't go there um yeah. and I also have a hard time being vulnerable um but I think that was like if she was still alive today that's the type of relationship that I would want to have with her because I think I would be able to navigate that better with her and I and it sucks that I can't because I miss her um because yeah. I was like her little buddy you know I was I mean I was my mom's road doggy and I was also big mama's road doggy um and the way that I always hear about like me as a baby growing up 
is Big Mama was the first person that could calm me down outside of my mom. Um, oh, so oh, I know that was so annoying. yeah um and then also like my cousin maria she's my best friend and she and she and i i i would hope that the inspirational is is dual but like every time i talk to her i feel more centered and i feel better about myself and the person that i'm supposed to become because she validates me on a level um like generationally, right? She's 31. So we're within years of each other, but um, not like my mom, you know, she's not 30 years removed from me. Um, and so she inspires me because she, I don't know what it is. It's, it's like, she works really hard. She has a family. And then she's also, she's there for me presently all the time. Um, so I, I always want to give her props and then I could give you like a list of authors and activists and what have you that I'm sure is a normal laundry list that anyone has. Um, but yep, I would, I would keep it within the family too. <laughs> you know what, man, that is an excellent choice. You know? <laughs> Tracy, no, I love, you know, I love tag, you know, she's an amazing lady. Um, so Tracy, um, you attended Agile for Humanity Building Economic Liberation Open Space event, and you spoke about big and small trauma and its effect in how we navigate the world. Um, share a little about that and then share a little bit about, you know, your experience with the Agile community. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ah, uh, so trauma is something that, how do I explain or talk about that in two seconds? The, mm -hmm. what I, how I think trauma affects how we navigate the world is through everything we do. And I don't know if we always recognize when trauma has happened I, I, we heard Sabrina a little bit earlier about her childhood trauma experience with being asked, what are you? You know, besides a human being, what are you? And that said two or three times could equate into a little trauma. That said years and years and years as a narrative can become a big trauma. And if I could use Sabrina as an example, if okay. that can equate as a big trauma, then that affects how she navigates the world, which is what we talked about a little earlier, right? It's because of her interest, how she's experienced the world, her interest has been pretty much narrowed or at least um, targeted to a certain space or a certain area where she feels very passionate about. And because the trauma affected her in a way that affected her identity, that could go really deep. And there's many ways she could take that. But from what I'm seeing, she's turning that trauma into a positive situation, right? We don't all have that luxury of having a mom as a therapist 
And when (laughs) something happens and I go, all right, let me put my therapist hat on here for a minute. Or is it all right if I put my therapist hat on? Because sometimes it doesn't need to go on. Right. Right. And being able to help navigate that so she can come out and at least process to get out on the other side is really important. Most people don't know how to do that or even know how to label a trauma. And then we think about traumas, the big ones, as the catastrophes, the physical, the sexual, the verbal and mental abuses, you know, because physical and sexual abuse are huge traumas. Whereas um, if I could say Sabrina's had dings to her soul, but those little traumas that keeps ding, 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 dinging, they do become a big trauma. And how do we work through that is really important because that affects how we navigate the world. If we haven't worked through any of those traumas, whether they're small or big, they stay present for us all the time. And whenever something happens that makes us feel like an original foundational trauma, we get activated. You know, most people call it triggered. I call it activated because there's nothing triggering it because it's always there. It just gets activated. And how I respond has everything to do with how I went through it in my younger days or whenever it happened. And I'm navigating the world based on a traumatic experience that may not be happening now. Does that make sense? Makes lots of sense. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's important how we label them how we accept them and how we process them. And if I could just say one more thing, it is okay to admit that what you've experienced was traumatic. It's okay to validate it. No matter if somebody thinks, oh, you know, I went through that too and that ain't nothing. Yeah, but that's their experience. If you went through it and it felt horrific to you, then that was traumatic for you. And and, and I'd be able to own that and validate that. True that. Yeah. And now, talk the, to me about my agile community now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now <laughs> you, you called about this agile stuff, and I'm like, I don't know what that mess is. I don't know what the I know what the word means, but I don't know what this thing is. And I didn't know, like, do I fit in? I I, I I'm just a therapist. I'm not part of this community of I don't know, I call you like engineers and computer geeks and that kind of folk. No. I, I know, you know, the eggheads, the nerds, as Sabrina calls it. <laughs> and I'm like, how does that fit into this? And then what you said to me was, Tracy, we're just people. And then I go, oh, no shit, you are people. Because I have clients who are computer folk engineers, teachers, lawyers, all kinds of clients. So as I work through my insecurities about being part of the agile community, I said, you know what, people are people, here we go. And I think I, 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 I like it obviously because I'm doing this with you and I'm hanging around and I did a conference and we're gonna do another one in February, right? And, and Sabrina is gonna be a volunteer. All right, Sabrina. Um, <laughs> so no, I, 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 
my experience has been very welcoming. The people have been nothing but welcoming. Um, I feel valued. Um, and I feel that that's reciprocal. I value you all and I feel valued in the community. That's a beautiful community. So let's talk about this historic election that we just had. You know, we have, you know, Kamala Harris as the first woman and person of color and, you know, as the VP elect, you know, what gives you hope? Well, first you gotta say Kamala, not Kamala. I'm, I'm from the Caribbean, so you, you know, you gotta, <laughs> so you, we screw up our A's, we make things So is she. When, I know, right? She's Jamaican. I know, but you know, I'm talking when you like actually live there, you actually, <laughs> your diction gets a little bit different, Kamala. <laughs> no, if, she, if, she, if, I was, if she wasn't St. Croix with me, it would be Kamala, right? I, I, and Sabrina, you know, if, if you were in Brooklyn and you saw Kamala, I mean, Kamala, Kamala walking down the street there, right? <laughs> You'd fit right in over here. There you go. <laughs> you sound like Papa Peter. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh. Goodness gracious. Okay, Sabrina, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't want to be a buzzkill. Uh, so, so let's not be. You could be a buzzkill. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't think that we should. I'm not going to be fake about my feelings about whether or not I find her place in office historic, right? Okay. Um, what gives you hope? My feelings about Kamala's victory is that representation politics are not always good. In fact, they could be, they can be more detrimental to uh, racial justice movements. Um, so remembering that is really important that just because she's in the office doesn't mean that we've won. Um, when I say we, I mean black women, um, doesn't mean that the US has won because we put a black woman in the office and she has an incredibly egregious record as an attorney general. Um, and it's kind of scary that we're having an actual cop who some of us call Cop Mala in the office. Because um, her policies in Northern California and San Francisco were like, like heinous, horrible, heinous things. Um, so I think that it's important to remember that all skin folk ain't kin folk, right? Mm. Um, but if we're talking about hope, I am incredibly hopeful about the work that Black women have done. I'm getting there. I just wanted to like, we're not gonna celebrate. Thank you, mom. Okay, um, I think that in terms of hope, in terms of hope, right? So black women did the biggest lift of grassroots organizing across the country to get a literal wet blanket elected to office. Joe Biden was an incredibly hard sell and black women got black people out there to say like, you know what, Trump isn't worth it. Like he's not worth this like 
I'm not going to vote because I don't like Joe Biden. We've got to get yeah. Trump out. So basically, these grassroots organizers got a bunch of people organized to care about something on a macro sociopolitical level with these horrible two human beings, those being Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So I'm very hopeful for the work that grassroots organizing has done and the potential that we can become after we've gotten all of these people mobilized. Because that means that the critiques to Kamala can happen consistently, fair, and with a ton of people. So maybe she will actually listen this time and not lock up parents of truant children. Um, and maybe we can actually work towards a system of defunding and abolishing the police, right? Maybe we can get there, but we just, we have more people. And the, the scary thing is um, that I, I hear a lot of organizers say is that we just don't have enough people, right? Well, we've got 77 million so far, let's work harder to get more. And I think that um, we were successful, right? In, in, in this general to get a lot of people um, for a wet blanket. So I'm, I'm, hopeful, I'm hopeful for that. I'm hopeful for the future of mobilization and organizing. Sister Trey. Thank you, Sabrina. I'm going to piggyback on that. I am very hopeful because of the organizing that happened, because of all the people that got together to change the course of where this election could have gone. I'm very hopeful that we now know how we can come together and that we can build on that to be able to work together to get some of those things in place of what has been talked about. Right, and to hold um, both of them accountable for what needs to be changed. And I mean, it's the, you know, the things that we've talked about, the systemic racism, it's the criminal justice system. It's having these folks in jail for these bogus drug charges, serving time and having felonies on their records so they can't find jobs and they can't vote once they get out. Getting that crap really, really situated so that people can start really living a life that they've dreamt of living, not because of some bogus ass charge that they have. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that some of this will happen and that because of the grassroots organizers, it'll be pushed and it'll be pushed and it'll be pushed and it will be heard, or at least it'll be attempted to be said. It'll be said and maybe heard, hopefully, and then maybe some change can happen. So I am very hopeful that we can, if in January we can get a Democrat or a, yeah, Democratic Senate, we, I, I think we're good. I, I think we can, we can make some changes. So there's hope. And yay, Kamala, because she's my peer. And it's kind of dope to see somebody in office that looks like me, right? <laughs> I wear Chuck Taylors and she wears Chuck's Taylors. So we're, we're good. We're good. All right. <laughs> you know, celebrate, celebrate, it's, celebrate. It's, and, uh, and, and I think we had a lot to do with it as Black women. I think that was pretty, pretty dope. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So, uh, any final words um, before we <clears throat> sign off or before we start recording? 
Well, this was kind of fun. I didn't know what to expect, but um, I, we, I, this was good. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Appreciate you asking us. Yeah, of course. We've been talking about this for months. Yeah, we have. <laughs> Here we have. <laughs> I, I knew the dialogue would be rich. I, I, I knew that already. That's from, you know, what I, you, I knowing you, you knowing me, the conversations that we've had. Yeah. And I've heard lots about Sabrina. So I said, this dialogue is going to be rich. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I really do. No, I same here. Sabrina. Do you have any you? questions for us outside of the questions you've already asked? No, but I, I, I am going to be reaching out to you. I, I have some work that I need. I, I need your support. <laughs> for my nonprofit, you know. And so uh, I'll be reaching out to you, um, asking for your help. And, you know, maybe you will. But if you do, I'll be eternally grateful. And I look forward to, like, hanging out with you someday. Hmm. You know, when we could hang out as people together, I look forward to that. Right. Yeah. And, and Sabrina, what are your, you have any final words? Yeah. I, I never, no. No, I don't. <laughs> She goes, it was, it's mic. kind of right. It is strange though, being doing this with my mother for something that's public. Maybe that's why it took a while for us to gather since you guys always have these private conversations. Your mom had to put on her therapist hat and <laughs> think about, you know, what might we talk about potentially? You know what? When I was a professor, I talked so much about my children. Yeah. That this is not a surprise or this is not foreign to me to have this conversation. Sabrina wasn't talking about it, but yeah. she integrates me in many of her conversations. So for us to do this is very interesting. I think that's what makes it interesting. We do it separately, but not together. Would that be right, Sabrina? I talk about my mom all the time all the time it's, it's kind of inappropriate sometimes oh. <laughs> i love it you know i really it's like, love well, my it. mom said in a work meeting yeah. it's like no you're a grown-ass yeah. adult we don't care what your mom says i'm like but yeah, she's well, right so yeah <laughs> what do you think <laughs> yeah yeah right 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 yeah. no, no this is beautiful it, it, I, and i knew it would be beautiful so i'm just really appreciative uh, thank you for listening to the Now Share with Dr. Dave podcast. I hope this learning experience would also prompt you to seek more and discover how you can contribute to the positive experiences for BIPOC lives. It doesn't take much. All we need to do is to tap into our own humanity. You will find the Agile for Humanity Social Justice and Impact series on the Now Share with Dr. Dave podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The Agile for Humanity Social Justice and Impact series is also on the following websites. You could go to agilealliance.org or nowsharewithdrdave.com or grokshare.com, nowshare.org, and also the agileforhumanity.org website. Um, just on the Agile an Agile Alliance website. I want you to look for Sharing Black Lives, Indigenous and People of Color Stories on their website, under, the, under their webcast. 
I want to give some uh, shout out for contributions to uh, Kiana Brow Hendrickson for the music um, that we use. And this podcast is copyright 2020 by Niles Sharon, Dr. Dave Cornelius. So until next time, I say be well, stay safe, and let's get connected. Let's talk about talk, it. Talk, talk, talk. Let's go deep. We all have something to share. No, no share with Dr. Dave.